For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. In today's teaching, the Apostle Paul makes a distinction between the end-time experience of those who follow Jesus and those who don't. Let's join Pastor Ross now with a message entitled, Sons of Light. Alrighty, good morning everybody. Let's get started. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, picking up in that wonderful, intriguing, exciting section of the Bible, talking about the second coming. So uh, let's get busy. Heavenly Father, we ask now for your blessing, Lord, that as we open up your word and we read of this, this wonderful, fascinating, mysterious time when you will step into human history and intervene in love and bring about your righteous kingdom, a kingdom where only goodness and and peace and righteousness dwell. Lord, we just look forward as we've been praying throughout the ages, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And so we look forward to the truth that we're about to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I was reading Newsweek and there was a poll in there. Uh, 40% of, of um, average Americans, not the church, 40% of Americans uh, believe that the world will end as the Bible predicts quote, a battle between Jesus and the Antichrist at Armageddon. 40%. Where are they all? <laughs> I have trouble finding one or two. Uh, but be that as it may, here are the stats about the Bible and the second coming. There are 1,845 references to Christ's second coming in the Old Testament. 17 of those Old Testament books give the second coming a prominent theme. Out of the 260 chapters in the New Testament, there are 318 references to his appearing. Uh, In short, one out of every 25 New Testament verse is about Jesus coming again. For every prophecy concerning Jesus' first coming there are eight which look forward to the second. So if there's one point that the Bible's trying to make, it's this. Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. This is the verse where we got the term, the second coming, and it has stuck uh, really pretty much throughout uh, the ages. Thank you for that verse. He came once, his first appearing. Uh, he fulfilled 300 prophecies of Old Testament Hebrew scriptures in the first coming, and he took care of business and reconciled the world to himself that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord can be saved, right? And then there was a second coming foretold. And this is the topic of this morning's um, text. And so, you know, as kids, one of our favorite games, I don't know how about you, was hide and seek. Anybody enjoy that as children? Yeah, that's a fun game. I mean, I was the oldest of four, so it was my job usually to be the countdown seeker, you know, and so you know how it goes. Ten, nine, eight, seven, watch six, Five, four, three, two, one. <laughs> and somehow when you get to five, you just zip down to one. And what do you say? You say, ready or not. You see, very similar to what we're talking about this morning. Because regarding this one far off divine event toward which all creation moves, as poet um, Yeats wrote, According to Paul, the apostle, this blessed hope, the great appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, Referring to this, readiness or the lack thereof really is what it's all 
about it. It'll make all the difference in the world. Now, according to the scripture, the Lord's been counting down uh, for uh, a while now from his ascension when he was ascending into heaven. You remember the disciples were, were kind of sad about it and two angels cheered them up with this message. Hey, guys, why so sad? You guys look so depressed. This same Jesus will descend in the same glorious way that you see him ascending. And so from that moment, God's been counting down. And sooner than later, or later, or sooner than later, he's going to get to five, four, three, two, one. And it's ready or not, here I come. Our scripture that we've been studying has a chapter break, unfortunately, but it's the same subject. And we've already heard that he's going to appear with three things, a shout from the Lord, a voice of the, of the archangel, and a trumpet blast of God. And in essence, really, those three things are really saying, ready or not, uh, here I come. And so whether you are ready or not, according to the Bible, will have life and death ramifications. Verse 1. Here's our passage. We'll read it in full. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord, now we have a title, will come like a thief in the night while people are saying peace and safety, destruction, will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, Brothers are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. And so this is our entire passage. We'll walk through it and break it up. But uh, Paul has told us how the Lord's coming uh, will affect the dead. We've already learned that. They get their newly resurrected bodies. God raises their bodies, and, and they are completed, and he brings them with him and we meet together we're gathered together now what about the living right so the chapter divide came right there where now he's moving from what happens at the second coming with those who have already gone to heaven to us who are alive and remain at that blessed time when the shout and the trumpet and the voice are heard and so there are some expectations for those who are alive who know the lord uh, who are alive at that time. Now, this passage before you, uh, really three ideas here as we walk through uh, relating to the grand arrival. By the way, the word parousia uh, means arrival or to show up or the presence. That's the word used for Jesus' uh, second coming. And so for this grand arrival, I, I would divide this into three easy uh, thoughts. Verses one through three, note takers, sudden disaster. Verses four through seven, spiritual readiness or, or preparedness. And then eight through 11, a moral obligation, uh, kind of a spiritual application for those who are waiting. There's something that we need to be doing. Uh, so let's pull, pull apart verses one through three for our focus uh, and start with the disaster. Let's get the, the, the impending disaster part over. All right, so he's going to say ready or not, and uh, sadly, some are not, and hear now their story. 
the Thessalonians have questions and they have asked through Timothy, who had a visit, and now Timothy comes and says, hey man, they really want to know when. They really want to date. And Paul is going to tell them now uh, concerning what he calls the day of the Lord. Very, very interesting. Now, I have a chart here, a chronology of major events that come. Now, the day of the Lord is used in many ways, and it is used in several different ways to describe all of these things, and so, or one of these things. So uh, the day of the Lord uh, will cover in the same breath the, what the church has coined the rapture. Okay, of the church. Now, we were just talking about the rapture of the church two sentences ago last week, right? So this is what we're talking about. But Paul calls it biblically the day of the Lord. You see, they're the one and the same. But actually, the day of the Lord is the prophesied uh, stepping of God into human history to bring about uh, the end of human history and the beginning of his kingdom, the kingdom that he taught the church to be praying for on a daily basis. Thy kingdom come, and that kingdom will come, and it begins with something called the day of the Lord, or the first event is what the church has coined the rapture. Now, now let's back up just to give you some context of the verses so that you can see the day of the Lord and the rapture of the church are the same thing. Okay, let me show you this. This is, these are the preceding verses. According to the Lord's own word, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with a voice, and the trumpet call. We who are still alive and remain will be caught up together. Where? In the clouds. Up. To meet the Lord. Where? In the air. And by the way, there was a custom. When you had important guests who you really cared about, you would leave the city and you would go out and meet them outside of the city and escort them in. Just a beautiful picture. And so, and so we'll always be with the Lord. Verse one, your verse, our verse. Now about the timing of the day of the Lord. You already know the answer to that. You know, I don't have to be writing you. So, so he's calling what we call the catching away of the church, the day of the Lord now. Very important. I was just talking to somebody who said, you know what? It doesn't go to this church. He says, I don't believe in the rapture. And I said, really? Well, pour me another cup of coffee and let me clear this up for you. <laughs> I said, take a look at this word here, this sentence. All right. I said, what does it say? The second coming or God's appearing. We who are alive at the time and remain shall be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. All right. Well, this word here, caught up, right? It, in, in the Latin phrase, it, as I told you last week, it's rapturo. And that kind of stuck with the English rendering of the Latin phrase back a couple hundred years ago. And it stuck. And so the nickname the church gave to the day of the Lord is, we could have called it the catching up. We could have, called, like I told you last week, it means to be violently grabbed, so we could call it the big grab, you know, uh, or we could call it the harpazo, but that's a Greek word for caught up. But when it went to Latin, there's something about the rapture that made Christians say, let's just call what we're talking about out of the long events. When we just want to talk about that slice of it, we're going to call it the rapture. Now, do you see a symbol here? Is there a dragon with seven heads and seven horns? Uh, because if, if we had symbolic language, I'm fine with you saying, hey, you think the third horn, and it doesn't say anything who the third horn is. You think it's, it's Persia, but I don't agree with that. Well, if it doesn't say it's Persia, then I'm open to say, hey, yeah, that's cool. You don't have to agree with scholars on that. But if you have a didactic, instructive if you have straight-on instruction with no similes that doesn't say, hey, it'll be kind of like, that, that's a setup for, hey, this is going to be an analogy or figuratively speaking. 
This is straight on instruction about what happens when Jesus appears. And he says, hey, if you happen to be blessed and be alive at the countdown, five, four, three, two, one, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be a big grab and you're going skyward and he's going to escort you into the city. And then the judgment called Armageddon, the apocalypse, will come down. You will be rescued because you're not appointed to wrath. I said, do you have a problem now with the rapture? He goes, oh, no, I don't, right? He cleared it up. He said, I thought people had told me the rapture, some theologian just made it up because they're afraid of going through the tribulation. But no, it's that word. That's what, that's the rapture right there. So are, are you telling God, you know, I don't believe in it. Well, how, I, well, you're free. This is America. You can tell God, hey, I don't like that sentence. I'm not believing in it. But, you know, that's what it says. Amen. Amen. I'm glad to clear that up. Now back to the chart. <laughs> Why do we need the rapture of the church? Because his appearing here and his appearing at the end of Revelation after 21 judgments Describe totally two different scenarios as we've been talking about. So after the church is raptured, there's something that we get called the great tribulation. We took that from Jesus, Matthew 24 and verse 21. He says, in those days, the day of the Lord will come great tribulation. And he describes it. Also, an angel speaking to John about that time calls it the great tribulation. And so that's what we call a seven-year period. How do you know it's seven years? Daniel and John in Revelation give us the total amount, three and a half years, three and a half years. That equals seven years. Seven years. Church is gone. God is judging a God-hating, Christ-rejecting, gospel-resisting world and dealing with his nation, Israel. So what happens during the Great Tribulation? The Antichrist is revealed. Mr magnanimous himself, you know he's going to have all the answers. What happens? The tribulation has a beginning, middle, and end. The beginning, a peace treaty is ratified. Start the clock ticking seven years, okay? He, Mr. Wonderful, goes into the Middle East and solves the problem, signs a contract, everything's cool, right? Or so it seems. The middle the abomination of desolation, we get that from Daniel. Daniel called this event the awful thing, the awful thing that brings destruction. That's what that is. The terrible thing that ends it all. What is that? The Antichrist gets a mortal wound to the head. He is raised from the dead in a mock resurrection by Satan's power. He sets himself up in some religious place in Jerusalem and says, I am God. And then there's a little uh, statue made in his likeness, and the false prophet gives it life, and it speaks, and the whole world goes, who is like the beast? And if you don't take the mark, right then in the middle, that's where the 666, and the worship him, or you cannot buy or sell. The end of the tribulation. Well, the 21 judgments may, may start sooner, but they really get bad after the three and a half year mark. And so the 21 judgments, seven seals are open. A quarter of the population in one of those seals dies. That's, that's billions, right? And then by the trumpets, another third. That's seven twelfths of the world's population. That's about 3,700,000,000. Gone, right? And so by the end of 21 judgments, we're counting down the chronology, Revelation 6 through 18, Revelation 19, Jesus appears. Now how can they be saying peace and safety? Your text this morning. Let me just describe the day. Surprise, everybody's saying peace and safety. How can they be saying peace and safety after 21 judgments? Where A, I told you last week, there are no mountains left. There are no islands left. There's no life in the ocean. The sun, moon, and stars are not working. There's no green grass on the planet. No drinkable water, no spring, rivers. 
plagues. Peace and safety? I think not, right? And so you have to have, and, and the beginning of Revelation 6 through 18, that's the great tribulation, right? You never hear once the word church, never once, right? We are rescued from that. And it's called in Revelation 6, now the day of God's wrath has come and who could stand? So it's titled, is the wrath, the coming wrath of God, which Paul just says, we're not appointed. Therefore, the surprise, thief of the night, peace and safety before it happens, he comes in for the big grab, the rapturo, the harpazo, the catching up. And there's not just nothing you can say about that. Fantastic? Yeah, it's fantastic. In Incredible in your mind? Yeah, of course. But do I believe that God uh, took six days and created the universe? Yeah. So, so everything's downhill after you get past Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, right? Where you say, hey, God spoke and made everything. That's a big deal. So if he wants to come down and take some of his possessions, uh, that's his business, right? Amen. So thank you for uh, that. We're going to go on now. Verses 1 through 11, really. Uh, I, the, I talk about the big surprise that we're calling the rapture. He's calling the day of the Lord. And uh, before the wrath of God uh, uh, comes upon the world, uh, which we're not appointed. Verse 9, by the way, says that. Okay, so the Thessalonians have questions. They want the day, right? And he says, hey, look, you know, we've been through this. I don't have to write you that. I taught you very well during that month I was with you. I told you, Jesus said that the angels don't know. He has decided to put that knowledge aside and and give it to the the Father only. So nobody knows. I taught you very well. You know, so he says there in verse 2, you you guys already have the answer. (coughs) They're thinking, if we could only get the day and the time, we could be on our best behavior, you know? (laughs) I mean, and... No, it doesn't work that way. So Jesus uh, rose from the dead. He spent 40 days popping in and out with the disciples, right? And on one of those days, they grab him and say, hey, listen, hey, hey, Lord, is this the time that you're going to free up Israel from Roman occupation and exalt the nation like the Old Testament prophets say? And he says, hey, listen, that's really not your business. He says, you need to be waiting and, and serving me. That's your business because God the Father has those appointed times set. And that's uh, in Acts chapter 1. So Jesus did not have a problem filling a whole chapter to the question, what will be the signs of your coming? Well, see, let me tell you. He doesn't have a problem saying, let me give you the the weather forecast. So when, when, when you see some general signs, you'll be going, uh, aha, it's rapture weather, all right? So he's going to say things you know, Matthew 24, lots of war, natural disasters, the increase in, in immorality of all kinds, they call them major violence and all of those things. He says, watch out, that's the beginning. He says, just like you know that when you see the leaves kind of budding, you can say, hey, I know. Like, for example, every time I drive down 101 and suddenly, I don't know where I was not noticing it, but the corn maze is like, whoa, and the pumpkins are spreading out. I'm like, oh, man, fall. That Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving's coming. And I start thinking in the car, oh, what are we doing this year, right? Because I saw Something that reminded me, oh, time is approaching. Jesus doesn't mind saying, let me give you some general signs, people, right? And so the men of God today are called by the Holy Spirit just to say, hey, anybody paying attention to the world news? Because after 2,500 years, Israel is in the land. They did not have a nation for two 500 years, and then suddenly in one day in 1948, bam. That's God's super sign, people. Just such as it's just letting you know it's rapture weather. Now, did somebody just let you know who's in Syria 
right now, building up their military? Let me answer that question for you. <laughs> Russia is in Syria. That would be like going to Oregon from us. Okay? Pretty close to the Holy Land. What is Russia doing building up its military miles from Israel's border? Well, they're partnering with Iran. Iran is called Persia in the Bible. And in Ezekiel, they're partnered together in the region that lead the way to a war with Israel. Two days ago, China says, we want in, and they're sending their military to where? To Oregon, to Syria, to Israel's border. What are the world powers doing a few miles away from God's holy land? Well, it's rapture weather. It's rapture weather. Let me add one more thing. A world religious leader has the microphone to an entire earth and is saying things like, it's not my place to judge. Christians and Muslims are brothers. God is the God of all religions. I'm just saying. Ladies and gentlemen, forecast, rapture clouds, (laughs) rapture weather. Am I naming names? I'm not. I'm saying it, a dress rehearsal, question mark, a possibility of everybody looking to somebody who's saying, let's all just make it one big happy planet of love. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, buckle your (laughs) seatbelts. All right. So, you know what? I don't know what the resistance is about hearing it. Nobody's setting a date here. Nobody's naming names. But yet, there is this, I'm sorry, demonic resistance that affects Christians today. Oh, I don't want to hear that. Oh, yeah, we've been saying that a long time. You're a Christian. What are you even thinking thoughts like that? When you see Israel in the land and world powers fighting each other 20 miles from their border, just like the Bible predicted thousands of years ago, you ought to get excited and say, hey, I'm not making any dates. But I'm just saying this is all in line for all of a sudden, one second, bam, a voice, a trumpet, a shout. And in the twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed. Well, it just sounds so crazy and out of the world. That's your problem. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I said that in love. And I'm not talking to you anyway. I'm talking to the guy next to you. Let me turn the page. <laughs> While believers are like looking around like me, just going, oh, God. What's Gog? What's Gog doing in Syria? What, what's Persia doing in Syria together? While we're doing that, unbelievers are like, oh, come on, man. They're in there. They're doing a good job. They're trying to fight the bad guys. Everything's cool. Peace and safety. Peace and safety. Well, they don't see a thing. So the Bible says there are two metaphors that we would like to describe that day. So he says that day will come as a thief in the night. The problem with burglars is that they don't text you right before they're coming over, right? <laughs> There's no call that says, hey, you know, it's 2 a.m. Did you lock or unlock the doors? You, you know, there's none of that. And so that's the whole point. It's nighttime and you just don't know. How, how many of you uh, have had the misfortune of having been burglarized or had something stolen? Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the world. We're just getting better and better, aren't we? Humanity, right. Yeah. Right, I know. So it's terrible. You get into your car, you go to press the button on the radio, and your hand goes into a hole. <laughs> you know, and you're like, whoa, what? How did that? What? You know, it's just like that. And Jesus says, that would be me. I'm going to slip in, take the valuables, and slip out. And everybody's going to go, hey, what happened to my grandma? 
what happened, not to my radio, but what happened to my pastor, Lord, Lord willing. <laughs> That's what it says. That's what it says. And the ironic thing is, of course, he says, you know what's funny? And here's the Holy Spirit saying, you know what's funny? It's going to happen when they're all saying peace and security. Peace and safety. Everything's cool. We've got this. It'll all bounce back. You know, it'll auto-correct or whatever they say. You know, it'll correct itself. Yeah, okay. So, like a thief, God's day of visitation comes. And can I say that he leaves none behind who had... He, he only leaves those behind who opted out of the rescue plan, right? He loves everybody, for God so loved the world, right? So he's not coming in and saying, oh, I want this one, I don't want that one, this is good, this is bad. No, this is saved. This one RSVP'd. This one had like 20 times RSVP, no, no, no nothing back. This one doesn't want to come. He's not going to force them. So he comes in love and takes the ones who long for his appearance. The second metaphor is called a woman going into labor. He says the day of the Lord, our rapture, is going to be like a woman about to have her baby. Well, we, we have three children, as most of you know. Well, just, you know, it started or ended in the middle of the night, all three of them. Just wonderful. The first time Barb says to me, we're getting ready for bed, and she says, hey, listen, um, we got to go. And I said, oh, where, where? Should we go to the hospital? I go, why? And she goes, why? The baby's coming. I go, the baby. The baby's coming. And, and, you know, I started jumping up and down. I started getting all excited. I know you can't picture this, but I kind of started getting... And it caused a little bit of a little marital problem there because uh, I'm jumping, going, I'm going to be dead. I'm going to be dead. I'm going to be dead. Yeah. And she goes, get the car keys. <laughs> I'm having a baby. <laughs> That's really what happened. That's the truth. And in the car, oh, all the way to Kaiser in San Jose, I was like, well, I'm going to be dead. I'm going to be dead. I'm rolling down windows. Hey, I'm going to be dead. And Barb is like, if you don't, stop. <laughs> I have the tendency to drive some people crazy. You know, it happens. And so here, here's the deal. There are, there are signs that you're close, and then, uh, boom, the moment happens where there's no turning back, and that's the idea the Bible wishes to communicate here if you put the two metaphors together about those doomed to suffer under the day of the Lord and his wrath. Number one will be sudden and unexpected like a burglar who slips in and out without notice. And number two will be sudden and unavoidable like labor at the end of pregnancy. First case, no warning. Second metaphor, no escape. Like Noah's day, Jesus said. A hundred years, they lived longer. Noah was a preacher, Second Peter chapter 2. The door was open, and only eight entered. And the door was closed. And Jesus said in Matthew 24, everybody was clueless because the weather was sunny and mild. And everybody was saying, peace and safety. Rain? What's rain? They hadn't had rain yet. And the door closed. And those left behind had no covering, had no protection. So as the wrath came down, the saved went up. They were protected. They were covered. You see? It's a beautiful thing on our end, but not so much for them. And you know, it's a really, it's a really important idea of what makes you ready. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ makes you ready. And he's going to talk more about that. Jesus said, this is how it's going to happen. Well, not to everybody. Let's look at the next 
section. But you brothers, you're not like that. You're not in the darkness, so you're going to be, whoa, surprised like a thief coming in. You're sons of the light, son, children of the day. We don't belong to that stuff. We don't live like that. So let's not be like them, right? Let's be alert and self-controlled because they do their thing at night, but we belong to the day. So we've gone from sudden disaster to um, being spiritually ready. And you'll notice we go from they and them to us and we, all right? Big distinction. And we're going to talk about that distinction here on the screen. So no surprise awaiting believers. Verse 4, you're not in darkness that this day should surprise you like a thief in the night. Surprise, one thing, right? Uh, Surprise, but expecting and prepared uh, versus surprise, but clueless and ill-prepared. Because I guarantee you, if if the Lord would have come for us five minutes ago, Everybody would be kind of surprised, right? But, but most in the room would be prepared and not overtaken as a thief in the night. So I, I have it down like this. Your boss says to you, you know, hey, I'm going to be in your area on Saturday. Would you mind if I came by, dropped in, picked up the project? Sure, that's fine. Yeah, are you going to be home all day because my schedule, you know, are you going to be there all day? Yeah, okay, so I'll see you Saturday. The doorbell rings, and you have a little like, whoa, who's that, you know? Wow, oh, yeah, welcome. Here's the package, it's right here. Everything's done, completed, right by the door. Yeah, I knew you were coming, it's done. You'll find this here, A, B, C, D, boom, here you go. Next to the other scenario, there's a doorbell, and then a very surprised person who says, what, who, what, boss? Who made you the boss of me? You know, project, I'll show you a project right now, you just keep hanging around, you know, he's surprised and he's not prepared, there's no project, and what's the project? The project, we're the project. We are God's project, and he put his life in us, and so, yeah, so he, he's surprised. Now, How do you get that readiness? Well, of course, the light's been on the second that you said yes to who? The light of the world. He comes inside, right? He trips the generator. We're called regenerated, right? In short, in the garden, when Adam and Eve, our parents, sinned, they were body, soul, and spirit, and that spirit had a connection to God, right? But when they sinned, the death that came was that spiritual death, and that went away. And their children and their children after them only have a body and soul. It's when you open your heart to the living God, he comes in and relights that pilot light. Your spirit becomes born again from above, and the spirit comes into you, and God is light. So into your life comes light and life, and God's love. And that, that is what, you, you're not saved because you're alert. You're alert because you're saved. And that, my friend, is the difference between religion and relationship with God, between heaven and hell. We are watching for him. We are vigilant because of what happened. The grace of God came in and made us alive. Hey, the second you said yes to the Lord and he came into your heart, the radar has been on. <laughs> You're open, you're ready. In fact, if you want to go with the whole uh, Noah's Ark analogy, you've been ushered onto the Ark of the Lord Jesus and inside him and his safety, you see. So you're, you're ready and you've been living your whole life in the confines, the safe confines of the Ark of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's called salvation, right? And salvation is a free gift. You can't earn it, right? So the two destinies here in five through seven are are kind of juxtaposed, you know? And so we see the differences all about character. So in unbelievers, according to the scriptures in front of you, they live in darkness. That's their thing. So when you say someone's in darkness, here's what you mean biblically. You mean there's a spiritual ignorance of God, his plan, his will, his commands, why you're here, what you're supposed to be doing, what happens after you die. 
your purpose in life, what's wise, what's not right, all of that, it's darkness. Also, sin would be spiritual darkness, just living, groping around, sinning, and without wisdom and knowledge. They live that, but he says that's their nature. And so it makes it difficult to be alert when you're living in dark, right? You can get tripped up, you know? So he says two things you do when it's dark. You're asleep, you're groggy, you're drowsy. So that's what makes you vulnerable in the dark, right? You're tired, you're half awake, or you're snoring. So something can happen without you being able to do anything about it. The other thing is verse 7. He says, hey, what happens at night? That's when the parties are. That's when everybody goes to the ER with the gash on the head. What were you doing? I got into a fight with my friend. You know, uh, you ever watch those ER shows? Every time, it's Friday night in the city, line after line after line of foolish people doing foolish things. And why? Because it's night. And that's what people of the night do. And he says, come on, make a distinction. That's not you. It's dangerous. I got a scripture for you. He says it in Proverbs. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They don't know what makes them stumble. So he's saying it's dangerous, spiritually speaking, to be in the dark of unbelief because you're groggy, you're out of it. You're distracted, you're duped. And you you don't even know, you see? Now, on the other hand, he talks about believers, right? What does he say? Thank you for that. He says, you're children of the light. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, if, if you've got light, You've got God's will, God's knowledge, God's word. You've got the plan. You know why you're here. You know who he is. You know his nature. You know his plan. You know what happens after you die. You've got light. You know, should I go right or left? Well, you've got the Bible, which is a lamp. There's a lot of light. So wisdom, the way you live, openness, goodness, integrity, all of that is light. And he says, listen, God's purpose is clear. Check this out, John 8, 12. When Jesus spoke to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. So really, listen, darkness is defined by the absence of light. And because you don't have Christ in your life means you are walking in darkness. Because he says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. No fear of stumbling over something or falling into a bottomless hole but we'll have the light of life. Again, the next scripture here, a lot about light. He's rescued us from darkness, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of of God's people in the kingdom of light. For he rescued us from the dominion, the power of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom he has bought us back from the dark, made us, gave us a new nature. I've got one more scripture about this, how he changes our nature. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, he's the creator. He said, let there be light. He did this with us when we got saved. He made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So so he's saying, God, the creator who said, let there be light, he comes to an unbeliever who's living in the darkness of, of spiritual ignorance and death and sin and guilt and shame, and he comes with the gospel, and when you accept the gospel, he turns on the light and he says, let there be light. Did you, you realize he said, let there be light before there was a sun? Check out Genesis chapter 1. He's talking about the light of God's revelation. Christ is the mechanism of creation because he's the word spoken and the Father is speaking. And Jesus is creating, let there be light, meaning God's gospel truth. And so he comes. And look at where is that light? It's in your heart. So he rescued you out of a dark world and put his light, God is light, John, First John, and put it in your hearts. So now there's a countenance change and there's a, there's a way to live and there's just goodness in this new nature. Now, now for me, the, back to the verse, please. 
the new calling us sons and daughters of the light, daughters and sons of the day. Here's what he's going to say. He's going to end up saying, be who you are. That is who you are. I'm not telling you, hey, shine a light somewhere. I'm telling you, you've, <laughs> your empty, dark soul has been replaced with the light of God. Be who God made you to be, not what the world wants you to be, not what the devil's trying to intimidate you to be, not what your own sinful nature wants you to tone down that light. He's going to end up saying, that's who you are. You do the things because you've had a nature change, not so that you can get to heaven. Well, you've got to be good to get to heaven. False teaching. You have to be in relationship with God who makes us want to do something good and enables us to do something good. And that is why we have good works is because it's a result of having obtained salvation, not in an effort to obtain it. That's called good works and that'll get you condemnation. So the, the light comes in. So does the day of the Lord come at daytime or nighttime? Answer, both. Because it's always daytime for us who believe, and it's always nighttime for those who don't. So, what's this mean for me today? You know, I've got Jesus on board. I've got the light of the world. He's shining in there. I've got a little light. You know, I'm a son of the light. I'm a daughter of the day. Now what? I'm so glad you're asking these questions. <laughs> Let's finish up with 8 through 11. So, we belong to the day. That's who we are. So, First order of business, self-control, faith, love, hope that's going to act as an armor. That's how you live. For, hey, good news. God didn't point us to suffer wrath. There it is again. The coming wrath, this does not mean hell. It's easy. The context is the day of the Lord. So, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you're doing. Okay, so let's uh, finish up with the practical application. Look, this is how the Bible is. Truth, knowledge, information, expectation, and exhortation to put it into practice. Oh, he said, you're, it's the height of deception, self-deception, to get something of knowledge and then not act on it. He says, you will deceive yourself if you're just, don't just listen to the word and say, amen, do what it says. Or you're just fooling yourself. That's James chapter one and verse 22. So we're going from sudden disaster uh, to spiritual readiness and now to a moral obligation because God just gives us truth and says, now act on it. How is this gonna impact your life that you know, hey, He's coming, it's imminent, the big grab, he's going to rescue us, right? And he changed your nature to be children of light in a dark world. What does he expect of you while you're waiting? Well, here it is to be who he made us to be. Now, uh, Paul likes the metaphor of soldiers in armor. You know why, right? Because he was chained to a guard for like half of his ministry, he spent years and years in prison. So he's sitting there one day, he's looking at the dude and he's all got his armor on and he's like, hey, that, that shield there, that's kind of like faith. And that helmet, oh yeah, salvation protects your brain, right? And your mind and your being, right? Now, he uses it five different times in the New Testament, but he swaps them all around. There's no like the breastplate's always righteousness. He just, he, he's just saying as he's led, he says, hey, think of Christian dynamics uh, this way. So here's what he's saying. To have and maintain a bright burning light, you're going to have to fight for that. You know, children make it seem so easy. That cute song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, you know? Oh, man, let me tell you, the devil... And all his demons want to blow that light out. The world wants to come in and quench that light. It really upsets them, right? Not to mention your own dark heart. 
that's always saying, must we always do the right thing all the time with the right motives and the light, light, light? There's something in there that's crouching, that's waiting for the, just give me one opportunity, man. (laughs) Crouching for control, but the Bible says you must master that. Or your light's going to be not so bright. And so he says, there's going to be a fight. Why? Darkness is calling you. Always, you've got a choice. You can walk in darkness. You could yield to temptation. You can flirt as a Christian in light, right? Oh, you can. I don't suggest it. You can wander. You dabble around, play around, you know, tone down the light. All kinds of things. We have the option. He says, but does it make sense if that's who you really are? What are you messing around with something you're not? Unless you are that and you're kidding yourself. Because if you really are, you really are. And that's proved by the way you live, the way you think, the way you do business. You're either children of of the light, you're either children on the light or not. And so he says, but we, verse eight, love that children of the day, we suit up, we take it seriously. We're gonna fight this thing out, right? And he says, it starts with self-control. If you can't control yourself as a children, a person of light, then what good is it? All is lost. If you are not at the helm with the help of the Holy Spirit calling the shots and instead Your carnal nature, your temptation, the world, peer pressure, envy, jealousy, insecurity. There's a host of things. Selfishness, greed. There are all these things that want control. So he says, hey, if you want to shine a light for Christ, then number one, you have to let the Holy Spirit teach you how to control yourself. It's not asking you, hey, come on, man up, man. You got willpower. Uh Uh-uh. He's saying the Holy Spirit's on board. Self-control is a byproduct of him. You don't have it. So whatever it is, you've got to get it from somebody else. You will learn how to transfer that trait from God to you. That's your mission. So he can keep a tight rein on your tongue. You can't. He can. It's learning how to yield and to die and to surrender and let God carry you. I took flying lessons when I was 16 years old four or five of them in a little Cessna Piper Cub deal. You know, I loved it, but I couldn't continue because of motion sickness. I seriously have a problem with that to this day. Uh, I mean, I'm feeling it right now just talking about it. And I'll never forget when I'm up there, right? Kind of in between things. Um, (laughs) He said, hey, man, you're flying the plane. I go, shut up, I'm not flying the plane. He's like, you're flying the plane. And, and, and it turned a little bit. I went, whoa, I'm flying the plane. <laughs> you know. But he's right there. He's got the controls. But he's yielding them to me. And when Christ comes on board your little craft, aircraft, he says, son, daughter of light, you're flying the plane. You're flying the plane. Learn to take your cues from him as he says, hey, a little up the nose, a little down here, a little here. You need a little of this. Uh, you know, you need to listen to that. You've got the controls. If you stay tight with him, you have self-control. But if he's nowhere in sight and you've got the controls, man, well, you all know how dangerous uh, that can be. Amen. Like a city whose walls are broken down is the man who lacks self-control, Proverbs 25. It just means, you know, you're finished without self-control. So the three qualities, he says, he says there are three qualities in your text that are indispensable to light bearers. And here they are, faith, hope, and love. Number one, faith. Faith is simple. Listen to me. Faith is taking God at his word, even though, filling in your blank, and directing your life accordingly. That's it. Faith is taking God at his word and his command, even though, hey, the world doesn't do it that way, even though 
That's going to make me uncomfortable. Even though if I do that, what? I'm not going to have any money left at the end of the month. Uh, even though, and directing your life accordingly. Quick example, Peter, Luke chapter 5, fished all night, caught nothing, comes in. The Lord has an idea. Let me show you what faith can do. Peter, let's go out fishing. Uh, Lord, we've already been there, done that. We fished all night like good fishermen do at night, right? We caught nothing. And Jesus gave him that look. You're going you're gonna to trust me? And he says, but because you say so, let's do this. So they get back in the boat, go out when fish aren't biting. And Jesus says, try throwing your net. Pilot to co-pilot. Throw the nets over that way. Wow. What? Okay. Taking God at his word, even though, dot, 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 fish aren't going to be biting, da, 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 I know better than him, da, 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 da. They do it. In go the fish. Down goes the boat almost. They drown in prosperity. Why? Because Jesus said, you've got a pinch of faith. Nothing will be impossible to you. That's the answer right there. Faith. Hope, and I've told you many times, hope, biblical hope is not, uh, it does not imply that a thing might or might not happen, all right? So I hope in English that it doesn't rain. Well, that's not biblical hope. It's not the Greek word hope. The Greek word biblical hope is this, waiting for a future reality of God's promise that's fact to come to pass. It's already done. It's going to happen, and you're waiting for it to come. Romans 8, 28, for I know God causes all things to work together for my good because I love him and called according to his purpose. So whatever thing you're in, hope, biblical hope is, okay, something good is coming. I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting for, I'm hoping for what's coming. You're not hoping if God is going to work it for your good. You hope because you know that brings confidence and joy. And you're thinking, even this? Yeah. Does it fall under the category all things? If it does, then you've got a promise. And hope says, I'm waiting for the future reality to come to pass. Not if, but when. That's hope. He says, if you live that way, boy, you've got a shield, a breastplate. And then he says, you want to talk hope? He says, let me just remind you, oh, uh, verse, what is it, nine? We're not going through the coming wrath. You're not appointed to it. So whenever you're in Amos, Zephaniah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, whenever you're in there and it's talking about the day of the Lord and God pounding the earth beyond recognition, just know that's not you. You can encourage one another because he didn't appoint you to wrath. That's very encouraging. Now, here comes the real thing that causes them the hope. The zinger that most people miss, verse 10, happens to be my favorite verse this week. <laughs> Jesus, look at verse 10 with me. Jesus died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Here's what he's saying. Oh, did you guys think that I was saying your vigilance is going to save you on that day? That you better be, you know, in prayer, looking up and ready and praising the Lord and getting the victory? Or did I remind you or should I remind you that Jesus died for us? That is the basis of our safety for escaping the coming wrath so that whether we are praising the Lord with the hands up or if we're at work having nasty words with a bad attitude, awake or asleep, kind of having a spiritual narcolepsy moment, right? <laughs> Where you kind of, yeah, I'm awake, I'm a Christian, but uh, once in a while I don't know why, but <laughs> you know, you start doing these dumb things, saying stupid things, not doing the right thing. You're having shady moments, he's saying, my friend, it's not about you. Praising the Lord, having the victory, quoting your scriptures all the time. And, oh, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. Problems? I don't have problems. Listen, I used to go to that church. <laughs> Almost had a nervous breakdown. 
I can't have the victory all the time because uh, then you're forcing me to fake it. And then I start being a hypocrite. And then I'm lying to you. You know, how are you doing today? Praising them. Praising them. Uh, oh, really? What about that struggle? What struggle? You know? Romans 8, 28. He's saying, listen, Jesus died for us so that whether we're on a mountaintop experience, eyes wide open, sharing the gospel with my neighbor, or I haven't been to church in two months because I've got a bad feeling because people hurt my feelings, and now I'm mad at all Christians and all of... Sorry, I'm talking about people in other churches. <laughs> Once again. Does that mean you're not going in the rapture because you're having a shady moment thinking or doing something that you shouldn't be doing? How many times a day do Christians do those kinds of things? All the time. So he's saying, relax. Enjoy God's grace. Not as an encouragement to go out. He just told you you're not really that. So if you go running out and saying, oh, well, I just got permission because he died for me no matter if I'm awake or if I'm doing my thing over here, then I'm going to do my thing over there, then you're probably not who he thought you were. <laughs> Does that make sense? Furthermore, the reason why the teaching of true grace, that his death secures me, not my spiritual vigilance, the reason why I'm able to be freed up by that truth is what it cost him. That keeps me from saying, well, if he died for me to secure me when I'm praising the Lord on Sunday morning, what's wrong with getting carried away a little bit on Friday night? Pastor Ross said, he died for me whether I'm found doing God's will or if I'm found stumbling around doing the old thing. The love, there it is, the third component. The love that did that to the God of the universe, the love that responds to having had that done for my soul, so that whether I'm awake or asleep. I'm good. That makes me not want to sleep. It makes me want to serve. It makes me want to love him. It makes me want to never utter one dark thing again. I just want to be sold out and dedicated. Who will ever know what Jesus experienced on our behalf? But that's love. And it calls out in me a love for God and a love for his people and a love for his word and to serve him. That's why we're safe right there. So don't trash that and abuse it. He says, hey, I want to take the pressure off of you guys so you can serve me. So you're not thinking, oh, you know, I didn't pray three times today, so oh, no. <laughs> No, 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 we're good because of this. But this makes me want to pray <laughs> three times. Calls me up. Doesn't force me or drive me. It woos me. So we're going to remember that. The Lord's death on our behalf, uh, the communion slide, and then we'll um, celebrate as the word is commemorate or to remember the Lord's death uh, on our behalf. The brothers are going to come and, and serve us. You know, it's an amazing thing that when you preach through the scriptures, uh, it usually lands on a passage that lends itself to going into communion. And this Sunday is no exception. And so the brothers are going to come and they're going to pass to you the, we call them emblems, you know, the, the, the bread and the cup that represent what Jesus did so that whether we're awake or, or asleep, doing well or struggling with some issues, that we're safe with him forever. So receive those elements. Okay, hold on to them together. And we're going to worship the Lord. 
Now, if you don't want to um, participate in what we call the Lord's Supper, uh, simply decline being served, no problem there. If you're not a believer, you know, we invite you to just say the sinner's prayer right where you're at. Then you'd be welcome to take communion because it represents an inner grace that's already happened so or should have already happened. So uh, if you're not a believer, that's the only reason uh, not to take communion yet. Uh, but you're more than welcome to, to pray and receive. It's really that easy. And so let's worship the Lord and reflect on these great truths. You know, he's made us ready. He's made us ready. All right, brothers. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.